Hi, welcome to our podcast. To learn more about Liverpool One Church, join us live, give financially and to get involved, head to liverpoolonechurch.com. We believe God wants to do great things in and through your life today. Enjoy this message. Well, it is that time of year that is ramping up to Christmas and we say all kinds of funny sayings around Christmas time. We quote quotes that we would never quote at any other time of the year. We see them written on Christmas cards, and yet I wonder, do we even understand some of the things we say or some of the things that are written? I mean, you hear quotes like, goodwill to all men. You hear things said like, glad tidings. I mean, if I said to the church, what does glad tidings mean? You would probably all look at me like you're looking at me right now. But if I said, what does ho, ho, ho mean? You'd all be able to tell me about the big man in the red suit, right? And so quite often these, we say peace on earth. Well, what does that even mean? But the one that I want to look at today is one that we often see on the front of Christmas cards. And that is hope is here. Where? (laughs) Hope is here. It is a quote, it is a saying, and particularly in the Christian world, we're so good at saying things that we can't actually give people an understanding about what we actually mean. Hope is a word that we use every single day of our lives. I hope it doesn't rain. I hope there's a car parking space. I hope he gets the hints that I'm dropping for Christmas. That kind of hope is wishful thinking. It's an emotional type of hope. That type of hope, it's a, it may be, it may not be. It might go my way, it might not go my way. It's the kind of hope that most of us are familiar with. That kind of hope is like being out in the ocean on a little boat with no engine, no sails, and no oar, and hoping you get to your destination. The truth is that little boat is subject to its circumstances. That little boat is only going to go where the tide takes it or where the wind takes it. And that is what your wishful hoping is like. It's just a lucky guess. It's just a rub of the rabbit's foot. It's just a crossing my fingers. It's what I call a hope-so type of hope. But the Bible talks about a no-so hope, where you can know there's going to be change, where you can know the outcome, where you can know how the story ends. This kind of hope is spoken to through, throughout the Bible. Jeremiah says this, he was talking and he was actually talking to himself. And he said, yes, my soul find rest in God. Hope comes from him. Truly, he is my rock and my salvation. He's my fortress and I will not be shaken. I don't know about you, but I know there are things in my life and areas of my life that I don't want to feel like I'm shaking in anymore. So the Bible says that we can put our hope in God. The Hebrew word for this kind of hope is tikvah. And tikvah is not a hope so type of hope, but tikvah literally means 
It's more than a dream. It's an expectation that God gives us expectation type of hope. The world hopes for something, but the Bible teaches us to hope in someone. So I'm not hoping for my circumstances to change, but I'm believing in the God who can change my circumstances. And that is the different kind of hope. True hope is not wishing for things to change, but true hope is expecting in the God that you cannot see to have a handle on and to be able to move and change your circumstances. You know, when King David, before he was actually king, he was in one of the darkest and most loneliest times of his life. He was actually um, in hiding in a cave. It was a season in his life where he'd lost what he thought was all hope. He had no friends. He had no family around him. You know, we read about David being king and running an army, and this is a season of his life before he had any of that. He sits in this dark cave. He's in exile. He's actually even been banned from going to to the sanctuary. And he sat down and he wrote Psalm 42, speaking to himself. He says, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why are you so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Can I just tell you something? That we read the Bible like these are all old-fashioned religious characters are all who knew God. Can I tell you they went through real life like you and I go through real life. They know what it is to lose. They know what it is to be broken. They know what it is to be hurt. David knew what it was to do battle with the darkness in his own mind. Because you know depression... It's not a 21st century problem. Actually, it's been around for as long as mankind has been around. We just have language for it now. We just have a better understanding. But David did battle with the dark thoughts in his mind. But David did something that actually I don't think we're very good at. He encouraged himself. He spoke to himself. And what he was saying was, he says, soul. Why are you downcast? It would be a bit like, Emma, why are you feeling like this? Now, David was aware of his circumstances. They were not good circumstances. But what he was saying to himself was, put your hope in God. Because everything is subject to change, but he changes not. So find your hope in something that does not change. You know what we do? We wait for the phone call and then I'll feel better. We wait for someone to send us a text message. We wait for someone to rub our back and pat us and say, they're there. We wait for the handout. We wait for the good report. We wait for somebody else to do something proactive towards us, and then I'll feel better. David said, if I don't encourage myself, no one else is going to be able to. Because let me tell you, other people can make you momentarily feel okay. But it's only when you begin to encourage yourself in God and his word that your spirit within you begins to change. 
Last week, and if you were not here last week, I encourage you to go back on YouTube and listen to, to the message. But we spoke a lot about faith and what faith was. That faith is believing for something you cannot see. That's why Christianity is a faith, because we believe in a God that we physically cannot see. But we also learned fear was faith in reverse, because fear is being afraid of something that might happen, but has not happened. So either way, you are people of faith, whether you choose to use faith to believe in God or faith to believe in fear, you are people of faith. So we learned that faith is what you believe in, in what you cannot see. But this is what I want you to understand. I want you to understand that hope and faith go hand in hand. And the power comes when these two principles work together. And the best way that I can think of to describe this to you is a little bit like driving a car. You've got your clutch, you've got your gears, but you can't change gear until you press that clutch. When you press the clutch, you can change the gears and the vehicle can motion forward. When you learn to operate hope and faith together in your life, you will begin to motion forward in areas where you have previously felt stuck. Faith believes for what it cannot see. Hope expects it. And there's a difference because we can get excited when we, faith gets excited about the word of God. So we can get excited about scriptures that say, I am more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus. In all things, it says actually in Romans, I am more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. That's faith. I believe that I can be more than a conqueror in every area of my, I actually believe that. But that's where most of us stop. When you have hope, hope expects to conquer the problem that you're in right now. And there's a difference. So when you get hope and faith moving together, working together, things begin to change in your life. So I want to give you three points on how you can develop bold, tenacious, extravagant, unwavering hope in your life. The first point that I want to make is that you need to position your hope. Now, this one for me is really important. And I feel like this is where most people fail. And I actually believe this is where most Christians fail as well. Is your life positioned to receive the thing you're hoping for? If you wanted to take a trip down to London, you could find out all the train information, you could book your ticket, you could reserve your seat, you can pay your fare, and though you thoroughly plan your trip, how many know the train ain't coming to your doorstep to pick you up anytime soon? And you can stand on your doorstep and go, but I don't know what's happened because I've paid my fare and I did my research and I've reserved my seat. Where's the blooming train? You've got to position yourself at the right station, on the right platform, at the right time to get on that train down to London. And I want to say, hope is no different. If you are hoping 
to change and believe in God to bring about that change, then you need to position your life ready for the change. Your actions speak of your expectation. Your intentions do not. And a lot of the time we read the word of God and we have good intention. We get excited about what scripture says. And, you know, who's going into the new year with intention? Going to change, going to diet, going to get fit, going to read the Bible all through the year, going to do all these things. So these are your intentions. But let's get to the end of January and see who actually went through with them because it's your action that speaks of expectation. It is not your intention. So hope is where the action comes into place. Do you know the night before Jesus was born, there was a group of shepherd boys in a field outside of Bethlehem. And they were busy just minding their sheep when an angel appeared to them to bring good news. I mean, I like to put myself in Bible stories. You've got to imagine the time. They've never seen a sci-fi movie. They don't have the internet. They've never seen, you know, E.T. or Close Encounters of the Third Kind. They don't know anything about UFOs. And yet the sky split open and an angel spoke to them. In Luke 2, it says this. The angel reassured them, saying, don't be afraid, for I have come to bring you good news. Because let me just tell you, those of you who are believing to one day see an angel, it's not a very pretty sight. They're powerful beings. And so the angel said to them, don't be afraid. The most joyous news of the world has ever heard is here. And it is for everyone, everywhere. I hope whoever you are today, you've just heard that that this news is for everyone, everywhere. For today in Bethlehem, a rescuer was born. He is the Lord Yahweh, the Messiah. And you will recognize him by this miraculous sign. You'll find a baby wrapped in strips of cloth, lying in a feeding trough. And all at once in the night sky, a vast number of angels appeared. And the very army the very armies of heaven, and they all praise God, singing glory to God in the highest realms of heaven, for there is peace and good hope given to the sons of men. So, so the sky is ablaze with angels, too many to number, an incredible, unimaginable sight for these teenage boys who had just been sitting off talking about their sheep. Because this baby's been born, there is now peace and hope on earth. And the very next passage of scripture says, as the choir of angels disappeared back to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go. Let's hurry to find who is born in Bethlehem. Let's see for ourselves what the Lord has revealed to us. So they hurried off and found their way to Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby in the feeding trough. A message of hope had been given to these boys through an angel by God, and the message was a message of hope. And it's as though they say to, her, if, say to themselves, if hope is here, why aren't we there? Like, if hope is here, why are we still in our field Let's hurry and position ourselves. Do you know what actually they did? They ran to be in the presence of God. 
Do you know what we do? We get so caught up with the excitement of what God said. Sometimes we forget to follow through on what he said we need to do. We get so excited about God's bit, we forget to do our bit. God told them, hurry, go and see this sight. You need to go and find this baby. It's a game changer. We get so excited. But what you need to understand is when the word of God excites you, because his, his word, by the way, is full of promises for your life, it's always a two-way street. Because God always some, requires something from you before he brings a promise to you. There's never just a promise for no reason at all. God is always asking something of you. You know, so many of us, we need to position ourselves like these boys positioned themselves to receive hope. What is it you're hoping for? And what do you need to do to position your life? Do you need to read the book? Do you need to make the appointment? Do you need to end the relationship? Because God is always asking something of you to go alongside the very thing that you are praying for. Some of you are praying that salvation will come to your kids and yet you're not even walking a saved life yourself. Some of you are believing for healing in your marriage, but you need healing as an individual first. So we have to do what we can do to position our lives. And that's not always a physical move that we need to make. Sometimes it's a mental shift. Sometimes God's asking you to adjust your character and bring things into alignment with his will. Have a different mindset. What about your speech? Some of you, your mouths don't line up with the thing that you're hoping for or you're believing for. I'm praying for healing. I'm believing that God is going to restore my body. But then I'm telling everybody how terrible it is and how ill I feel. And it's like we are not aligning our mouths. That's a positioning. So for God to be able to bring expect and hope into your life, you've got to play your part too. You know, at the end of the book of Romans, at the end of Romans 12, actually, it talks about an incredible promise from God. It says that you don't have to worry about the wrong that's been done to you. You don't have to take vengeance on somebody who's caused you a misjustice and an injustice, somebody who's been unkind or cruel or hurtful to you. In fact, this is what God says. He says, vengeance is mine. It's mine to avenge and I will repay your enemies. That is such a weight off your shoulders, right? That you don't have to go through life trying to get even, trying to justify your actions against what somebody else is. There is a promise of God right there. He says, I will avenge your enemies. Well, you should see the positioning that you need to do in order to claim that promise for your life. You can read Romans 12 for yourself, but in a synopsis, this is what it says. Don't act like the world. What does the world do? The world wants justice. The world tells untruths. It says, don't think of yourself more highly than others. It says, make sure your love is not fake but sincere. Don't tell someone you love them and then be talking about them behind their back. Bless those who persecute you. Live in harmony with one another. 
Do not be proud or conceited. As far as it depends on you, live in peace with everyone. Can I just explain? That doesn't mean you've got to be a best friend with everyone. Doesn't mean you've got to trust everyone. You've just got to be at peace. Just don't hold on to that anger and that animosity. This is all the positioning you need to do. And God says, hey, I'll avenge your enemies for you. So I think the question that you've got to ask yourselves is how much do I really want the thing that I'm praying for? How much do I want the thing that I'm hoping for? Because if I don't want to miss that train to London, I'm going to make sure I'm on that platform at the right time. If you don't want to miss the blessing of God, you need to make sure that you're positioning your life according to what he is reminding you and showing you we ought to be doing. The second thing is you need to intentionally feed your hope. Because anything you want to keep alive needs feeding, right? And feeding your hope is no different. But what you feed your mind on has a direct effect on how your hope grows. We live in a day and an age now where we understand diet better than we've ever understood it before, right? We have an awareness that we can't just shovel anything into our mouths and live a long and healthy life. What we consume is going to have an effect on our health and our physical bodies. We have people now that are gluten-free and wheat-free because it makes them sick. They understand if I consume wheat, I am going to be very ill. So they have to eliminate it out of their diet. We have people who have dairy allergies. They know that if they consume anything with dairy in, it's going to have an adverse effect on their system. So they make a choice to not eat things with dairy and you have people that want to be strong and fit and healthy so they monitor their fats and their carbs and their sugars because they are mindful of what they're consuming and what I'm leaning towards saying is you need to be as mindful as what you consume in your mind as you are with what you consume in your natural body you need to be as selective with what you take in in here as you are as selective if with what you take in here. Because in the same way, if you eat the wrong stuff or consume too much of the wrong stuff, it's going to make you ill. So too, what you consume in your mind is going to have an adverse effect. So if we know the results we're hoping to see in our lives, we need to eliminate the things that make us feel hopeless, right? So we've got to consider, what am I watching? Who am I following? Who am I listening to? Just because they said it was a good movie doesn't mean the movie's going to be good for you. Just because everybody else watched it, you know there are scenes in that movie that are trigger points for you, and you need to avoid the movie. Because when it gets in your head, it's going to take you down a slippery slope. You know everybody else is raving about it, and everybody else is saying how good it was. But they're not hoping and believing for the things in their life like you are. And you know that that movie has got scenes that are no good for you. So you need to choose not to watch it. Who are you following on social media? Not who's following you. Who are you following? Because some of you are following people that all you do is criticize. Can't believe they've done that. Can't believe they've got that. 
you know, look what they're doing, that who do they think they are? Why are you following them? All they do is put you in a bad mood. All they do is wind you up, press your angry buttons, provoke jealousy within you. Unfollow them. Who are you listening to? You know, if you hang around with that group of people, it's unwholesome conversation. And you know that you're going to end up talking in a way that you don't want to talk. You're going to end up thinking a way that you don't want to be thinking. So you've got to choose, and they might be great people, but if they're not going to build hope in you for the direction you want to take your life in, you've got to choose to say, nah, sorry, won't be at the party, not coming to the thing. I'm just choosing to avoid that kind of company. I'm going to say something now and you're all going to hate me. But in the same way that your body reflects what you put in it, so too does your spirit reflect what you're putting in it. You have to choose what you feed yourself on. If you want the promises of God to show up in your circumstances, then you're going to have to watch your spiritual diet. Let's consider the Christmas story. The young girl, Mary, Virgin Mary, she's a teenager, right? And the angel of the Lord comes and meets with her and says, you are going to conceive a child without ever knowing a man. The presence of the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. You're going to be carrying God's son. He's the savior of the world. This is not a fable. This is an actual truth. But God knew he had to choose an extremely disciplined one to bring that news to because this girl was going to have to stand with a swollen belly outside of wedlock. She was going to have to stand up to the critics. She was going to have to stand against the naysayers. She was going to disappoint her parents, her friends. People would walk from her life and abandon her, but God picked the right one because when he finished saying what he was saying to her, she responded and said, be it unto me according to your word. Church, we need to have that in our lifestyle. God, be it unto me according to your word. What does your word say? God, I'm not going to listen to what they say. I'm not going to listen to advice over here. I'm not going to listen to that group of people. What does your word say? But if you don't know what the word says, you'll never know what God is saying for your life. Mary said, be it unto me. I know they'll criticize me. I know they'll walk away from me. Joseph, her own boyfriend, had a meltdown. Mary was able to stay steadfast, be it unto me, according to your word. When you fill your mind, what you fill your mind with feeds your soul. And what you feed your soul on will cause your hope to to grow or to diminish. So you've got to decide, do I want my hope to grow? Do I want it to diminish? So maybe as we go into this new year, it's going to be time for you to Decline some conversations. Delete some of your followings on social media. And be more disciplined with what you choose to watch and take in. And the third and final thing that I want to teach you about getting bold and tenacious hope is you need to fix your hope. 
And when we're talking about fix, I'm not talking about fix as in with sticky tape fix. I'm talking about fixed in an immovable way. Like, who are you? You know, are you the church goer who's all in when you're here? Or is your hope fixed when you're in the workplace, when you're around the non-Christian friends? Like, fix your hope. That is not a casual thing. Jeremiah 17, Jeremiah writes, blessed are those who trust in the Lord, and they have made the Lord their hope and confidence. They are like trees planting along the riverbank with roots that reach deep down into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat and they're not worried by the long months of drought. Their leaves stay evergreen and they never stop producing fruit. This picture that Jeremiah gives is a really interesting one to me because he's very specific. He doesn't say, be like a tree whose roots go down deep. He said, be like a tree who's planted along the riverbank whose roots go down deep. He's giving them a picture of something in their culture they would have understood. And that is the trees that plant along a riverbank. Not only do their roots go deep, but their roots also go wide and their roots intertwine with one another. And actually, when you research this, it says, so they can share nutrients and physically support each other. It's a picture of the church. No tree should be planted on its own. These trees, they grab each other's roots like as though we're linking arms. Do you know why they don't fear the heat? Do you know why they don't fear the drought? because they're not trying to survive on their own. This is not the time in history for Lone Ranger Christianity. This is the time to be planted in the house of God, visiting the house of God, coming occasionally, being on the peripheral. That is not planting. Planting is when I'm helping someone and someone is helping me. It's such a picture because these trees don't fear the heat and they don't feel adversity. Why? Because they don't have to try and stand by themselves. They've got a support network around them. This is a picture of the local church. If you want to develop confident, tenacious hope, then it's important that you are fixed and planted in the house of God. We are not meant to do this journey of faith alone. Every tree that is planted is going to be exposed to the elements. Every tree at some point during its life is going to face the rain and the wind and it's going to be beaten by the storm in the same way that every human who walks the planet is going to face adversity in life. We're all going to have difficulties. We're all going to go through problems. We're all going to have adverse situations that come against us. But it's the trees whose roots are intertwined and linked together that the storm can't take down. And I want to encourage you with this picture. This is not a sales pitch for church. This is an arm of help for your life. That when you're planted in the house of God, I know you'll go through difficulty. I know there'll be adversity. 
I know you'll struggle. I know you'll have problems. And how do I know that? Because we're human. It's part of life. But when you believe and belong to a network of other faith-filled Christians, right? You won't go down with your circumstances because when you can't pray, someone else can pray for you. Many people fix their hope like a Christmas tree. And a Christmas tree has no roots at all. But every year, we drag it into the lounge, we dress it, we put lights on it, we put baubles on it, we make it twinkle, we make it sparkle. But the truth is, it looks great on the outside, but that thing is dying on the inside. But we drag it into the window so the whole street can see. We put it on the ground. Look at my tree. We're all super proud of it. But the trunk is dying. It's drying out. And the pine needles are beginning to drop. And we just keep shoving a bit more sparkle on it, hoping that no one will see what is really happening on the inside. And it's a picture of what our life can look like when we just have hope so hope. When we're just like hoping it works out for us. Our life is more like the Christmas tree. What we do is we hang on the branches of our life. Another holiday, another credit card, another car, another relationship. And it looks great on the gram. Looks great on the outside. Everyone's like, oh, jealous of your life. Look what you've got. Look what you're doing. But the truth is we're dying on the inside because we've got no roots. Jeremiah is saying, don't be like the Christmas tree. Be like the trees that are planted along the riverbank, whose roots go down deep. If you don't have roots, then you won't be able to stand because everything that you're grabbing hold of is temporary. But God is stationary. Everything in life will change. Your relationships, they won't stay the same forever. Those kids that you love and you put your whole world into, they'll grow up and leave home. The day will come when your job finishes, finishes you because it's ready for the next. Everything is subject to change. But my Bible teaches me that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if I could encourage you with anything this year, it is don't be hoping for something to change, but put your hope in the one who is and can make the change. Church, can we stand this morning? I know that every single one of us in here has a story. I know that every single one of us in here comes from different backgrounds. We've had different experiences of life. And probably most of us in here have experienced some sort of adversity. Maybe for you, you're still going through that problem, that situation. And I think it's the greatest lie from the enemy and one of the greatest deceptions that he brings to mankind is hopelessness. Because hopelessness means there's nothing. There is 
nothing worth living for. That's what hopelessness is. Hopelessness will tell you it's not even worth getting out of bed today. Hopelessness will tell you the people around you would be better off without you. Hopelessness will remind you that you are a failure, that you screwed up, that you got it wrong. But I say to you this Christmas, in the full knowledge and understanding of what I am saying, hope is here. And it's not here because it's Christmas. It is here because Jesus Christ gave his life over 2,000 years ago to die on a cross. Why did he do that? Why did he go through that? Why was he raised to life again? Purely for this reason, so that you could have a relationship with the God who changes not, so that that God could be part of your everyday life. You know, when David wrote Psalm 23, he didn't say, I go and die in the valley of the shadow of death. He said, yea, though I go through the valley of the shadow of death, because he understood no matter what problems come to me, my God will get me through. I'm not staying in this place of hopelessness. I'm not staying in the pit of disappointment. I have hope in a God and it might even be the valley of death, but I will get through it. So church, I want to pray. I want to pray over you this Christmas. I want to pray over your households. I want to pray that you will be hopeful in every situation. I want you to know that it's not over, it's not the end, it's not gone. Hope is here, right now. He's in your bedroom when you sleep at night. He's in the car when you've locked the doors and you're crying on your own because you think it's all gone too far, too wrong. Hope is here. His name is Jesus. Father God, I pray over every household represented in this room. I pray, God Almighty, that you would reveal yourself to them this Christmas. Lord God, that more than they fill themselves up on Turkey this year, God, that they will fill themselves up on you being hopeful, a sure expectancy that no matter what I face, my God will come through for me. I pray, Lord God, that they cling to hope, that they speak hope into their families, hope into the children, hope into the generation above them. I believe that they were hope, that they walk hope, Lord God, that people will look at them and say, what is it? Because I know what you're going through, but there is a stride in your step. There is a smile on your face. There's peace in your countenance. What do you have? And God, that we can respond, hope in my God. I want to say prayer for anyone who might not even know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. Maybe you've never made it. You don't even know what being a Christian is. I want to tell you what being a Christian is. It's accepting Jesus into your heart. It's about making him your Lord and Savior. It's about 
not having to come to the church to pray, but I can pray anywhere at any time. It's knowing that my God is with me, my God is for me. It's knowing that the past has been wiped clean. It's knowing that he will avenge those who hurt me. It's knowing that I can have peace in my life. It's knowing that I can have a relationship with God and that my future in heaven is secure. And if that's you today, It does not matter if this is your first time in the church. I'm going to pray a prayer. And if you want to ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, then repeat this prayer after me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross and bridge the gap between me and you. Come into my heart. Forgive me of the things I've done wrong. Today, I accept you as my Lord and Savior. Today, I believe my slate has been wiped clean. And today, I have hope. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thanks for joining us today. We hope that you can take that message and apply it to your life. Also, don't forget to take a moment to subscribe, rate and review this podcast. To get connected or stay more connected to the life of Liverpool One Church and learn how you can join us live, visit liverpoolonechurch.com. Thanks again for joining us and we hope to see you again soon.